I claim on earth what's coming from heaven to be here any day. Oh, I can taste his promise that is coming my Hello, way. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Growing in God's Word podcast with Dr. Jim and Joy McInnes. Our purpose is to bring to you encouraging teachings that will help you grow in your understanding of the Word of God. Yes, and this is Dr. Jim McGinnis, and I want to share with you a verse that for me has meant much in my life and ministry, and I hope it will encourage you. Uh, I kind of titled it today, End Day Exploits. And I want to read from Daniel 11.32. The people who know their God shall be strong and carry out exploits. Now, when D.L. Moody, the great evangelist from the 1800s, when he was just starting his ministry, he heard a preacher preach one day that said, the world has yet to see what God can do with a man faithfully surrendered to him. Moody that night said, God, by, by God's grace, I'll be that man. Man, that's a cry of my heart. I want to be that man that you can use in this world. And there is exciting things here to share because here it says in Daniel, the people that know their God shall be strong and carry out exploits. There's three points here that we want to cover today. Number one is knowing God. Number two is being strong. And three, doing exploits. And I believe there's an end time plan for you personally that God wants to use you to do exploits. And the word exploits, a synonym to that, uh, I think is really cool. It's adventures. How many know that I just love to read about adventures or see about adventures, you know? And C.S. Lewis, when he does his story, The Adventures of the Children, Tolkien, uh, I just love these adventures. How many know God has adventures for you? God-centered adventures for his kingdom. Note that these three characteristics build on each other. For only as we know God can we be strong, and only as we are strong can we undertake meaningful exploits for God. Conversely, if we're not doing adventures, exploits for God, it can be because we don't feel like we're strong, or we do not, we don't have that strength, or we do not know God well enough to trust Him and, and receive that strength. Now, going back to our text, let me give you a little background. Daniel's final chapters are prophetical about the nations rising up until the uh, rise of the Antichrist, the end times. It spoke prophetically in a number of ways. Uh, It spoke uh, events that are coming. And one way to take our text today is it was fulfilled at the time between the Testaments. This is called the historical application. And uh, this is in the book of Maccabees, an historical book um, that is in uh, not Protestant Bibles, but in Catholic Bibles in between. It is, it is historical, and it talks about the time when there was a very evil Caesar. His name was Antiochus IV. He was nicknamed the Madman. He was so evil and so bad that even Rome couldn't stand him. And when he died, they they went to erase as much as they could, statues and everything about him. But this guy was literally a madman, and he aimed his anger at Jerusalem, at the temple, and the Jewish people, 
and we see some of the words that he prophesied in this chapter. We didn't read a lot of the chapter in Daniel, but what he prophesies, he, he desecrated this Antiochus, desecrated the altar at the temple, set up an image of Zeus about 168 BC, sacrificed pig flesh on the altar in Jerusalem and required the Jews to worship the so-called gods of the Greeks. The Lord raised up, as verse 34, what he says, a little help. Uh, that is Judas Maccabees. The godly Matthias led the Jews to resist and fight against this, what had happened in, in uh, the temple. His son Judas Maccabees led the insurrection, and they succeeded by the grace of God to cleanse the temple. And his exploits were great and numerous. It was a small group of Jews that defeated Antiochus. Well, after three years of fighting, they restored worship in Jerusalem, cleansed and purified the temple December 25th, interesting date, the 25th, 165 B.C. This event has ever since been uh, commemorated. You probably have heard the Feast of Hanukkah or the Feast of Dedications, as sometimes called, like in John 10, 22. Um, that also has to do with the oil, the miraculous uh, oil, miracle of the oil, and it also has to do with that time it was freed. Uh, the temple was freed. Enraged by this, Antiochus marched again in person to it totally exterminate the nation of Israel, but on his way, he suddenly died. And uh, um, that's one, that's the historical um, application of that chapter. But prophecy in the Bible has many levels. Many things, yes, have to do with one level, like we read the Psalms, and and, and yet we see also the same Psalms applied, uh, events in David's life, but also about the coming of the Messiah. Here, it does not have just to do with this. It's a prophetic word of the end times, and it's a prophetic word of the coming of the Antichrist, which in chapter 7 of Daniel talks about the little horn. But very importantly, Daniel gives us important instructions how to live victoriously during this end times. And I don't have time to go into all Daniel's exciting parts about the end times in our day. I believe we are living in that time, but it can apply to every generation of Christians. And I really believe this is a word that every Christian, every generation could hold on and take. But especially for us, I believe it gives important instructions how to live victoriously in the end days. So number one, the people who know their God. Know their God. Jesus said, and this is life eternal, that they may know you the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you are sent. How many know there's a vast difference about knowing about God and knowing God? I mean, most people in America believe in God. If you ask them, I think it's like 80% believe in some kind of God, even higher. But just because you know that there is a God doesn't mean you know him, that you have a relationship. I can know about Joy, my wife, before we got married. But now, all these years of fellowship and getting in marriage for uh, 22 years, uh, what happens is, is that now I know her better every day, every week. 
Well, knowing God is like that. It's not just knowing about him, but having a relationship. The scribes and Pharisees knew a lot about God. They had memorized his word. They, they were careful to follow everything they had memorized, but they did not, they knew, know God intimately. They did not know him. They only knew some of the rules and some of the things that were laid down. They didn't know him. There are many Christians, even, that know God, they become born again, yet do not walk in really knowing him deeper. That's another aspect. So we have those that know about God, but never knew him. As a, as a, like Jesus says, in the end days, they're going to come and he's going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. How many know God knew their name? He knew who they were, but they never knew, met a relationship. And so they have that. If you know about God, that's not enough. You have to say, Jesus, come into my heart. And I want to walk in you. I want to get to know you. Then we have the Christians, which I said, who have begun that step, but then don't really take time to know him, have no desire to know him more intimately. Philippians 3.10, Paul says in this word verse about knowing the Lord intimately, he said, even Paul that I might know him and the power of his resurrection. The Amplified says it like this, For my determined purpose is that I, that I may know him, that I may progressively become deeply and intimately acquainted with him, perceiving and recognizing and understanding the wonders of his person more strongly and more clearly. Oh, that's my prayer to get to know him more and more. We get to know him through his word, yes. And we get to know him through the fellowship with him, taking time, practical experience as we walk with him. To know God is also to trust him and to live for him daily. This is knowing God in an intimate way. You constantly talk to him. You seek his guidance. I mean, uh, to me, uh, it's a personal everyday walk. There was a, a great, uh, evangelist around the turn of the 19, uh, the 20th century in the 19, early 1900s. And, uh, Smith Wigglesworth, he, he did great meetings in England and in Sweden and saw many miracles. And someone asked him, how long do you pray to see such a mighty move of God? He says, well, I um, never pray more than five minutes at a time. And they were shocked. What? What? Do you only pray five minutes? And he says, then again, I never go five minutes without praying. <laughs> what is he saying? He's saying I'm in constant talking with him as my friend. That's, that's what I find in my life more and more every day. Just constantly. Lord, Lord, look at that sunset. Isn't it beautiful? Lord, I want to walk with you today. And that's that's what God wants. And this is the first key. Moses said in Exodus thirty three thirteen, If it is true that you look favorably upon me, let me know your ways so I may understand you more fully and continue to enjoy your favor. What Moses was saying, God, I just don't want to do this job you're giving me. Just don't show me the way to the promised land. I want to know you too. I want to know your ways. I want to know your heart. It's similar to the prayer that I may know him. So what I'm saying to you today, the first thing is 
we need to grow in our knowledge of God and and to know him. If you've never experienced Jesus Christ in your heart, you say, I know about God, but I don't have a living relationship. I can know about certain people that we read in the news or or on TV or things, but I had never met them. I have no relationship. Well, God wants to do more than just having a casual friendship. or he, He wants you to know him personally. The second part is the outcome of knowing God. Those that know their God shall be strong. To be strong. The word means... If you uh, study it, which I've gone and looked at it in the Greek and the Hebrew, uh, depending on uh, uh, if you read uh, from the, the Old Testament or you read from the Greek translation, Septuagint of the Old Testament, strong to be strong means to strengthen, to be courageous, to overpower. Wow, what a great promise. But we see this also in the New Testament. Paul says in Ephesians 6.10, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Where's our strength? Be strong in who? The Lord. I'm not strong in my strength. I'm strong in him and the power of his might. Zechariah 10.12 said, By my power I will make my people strong. What a verse. By my power. How many know God has a lot of power? It's beyond our imagination. By my power, I will make my people strong. Psalms 29.11, the Lord will give strength to his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. You know, I know what it's like to be physically weak. Many, many years ago, I think about uh, 16 years now, the doctors told me that my heart was weak. It was down to 10%. I don't know if you ever met anyone whose heart's 10%, but you have no no energy at all. And they had said they thought that I'd die within within the end of the year. And But God did a great work. Now it's up to 33%, but I know what it's like to feel weak. And during that time, and even now sometimes, I, I, I have these bouts of weakness, but I've learned to put my strength, use his strength, that it's not my strength, it's not me, it's him. And you may feel weak for different reasons. Maybe physically. Maybe you feel weak, like, like you're, you, you are, uh, intimidated by circumstances or things. Let me tell you, the Lord will give you strength. He'll make you strong when you need to be strong. So if you know God, one of the outcomes is He will give you strength. What's He give you strength to do? He give Him strength to do exploits. I believe this last generation is going to carry out exploits like never before. And like I told you, a synonym to that word exploits is adventures. John talked about this, and Jesus talked about it in John uh, fourteen twelve. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, I say that knows me, believes in me, the works that I do, he will do. And greater works than these, because I go to my Father. What's he talking about? He's saying, you see the things I'm doing? Because I'm in you, working through you, and it's my power, I will use you. One of our problems is, in, in the last great revivals and things that I've been working in, is a lot of people take this to mean just platform ministry. 
Oh man, I'm not called to stand in front of people. I'm not called to go and, 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 and do this in front of people. That is not the emphasis here. The emphasis is I believe that God wants to use you in your everyday ordinary life. When someone comes up to you and they, they say, oh man, I'm not, uh, I'm really having a hard time. You can just gently say, you know, can, can I pray for you? You know, I've never had anyone really say, don't pray for me. People come, or I talk to, and they're not Christians, and if I say, uh, can I pray for you? They always say yes. Of course, they don't expect I'm going to pray right then and there. But, but I'll, I'll just take them. I'll say, can I just pray? Can I take your hand? And I don't make a loud noise. I don't make it so they feel uncomfortable because they already are uncomfortable praying with somebody, but not making this other people uh, watching. I say, Lord, touch this person. And you won't believe the miracles. You won't believe the things I've seen just naturally in life. You see, life with God is exciting, but we need boldness. That boldness comes from that strength. I'm not talking about obnoxiousness, where we just, oh, man, some people are that way, you know, that they uh, just walk down thinking it's all about themselves in a way. No, no, we just need that humble boldness. Like I said, in everyday life, the Bible says in Psalms 28, The wicked flee, but no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. That means that when the time comes, when you're needed, you just stand up and you be bold as a lion and say, Yes. Hebrews 11.32 lists many of these doers of exploits. He talks about these adventurous people. He talks about, he says it would be too long to recount the stories of faith of, and he makes a big list of Moses, of Rahab. He continues with the exploits of men and women who knew God, Gideon with his 300 men, routing 135,000 Midianites, and Barak and Deborah. He goes on with Samson, and he goes in with all these. And then he says this astounding verse in 34b, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the ar- armies of the aliens. Now, for you and me, we read this list, we go, yeah, yeah, they were special. They, they had strength. They, 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 they had a different A-type personality. No, it says out of weakness they were made strong. Many of these ones I read. I mean, look at, look, look at Gideon. When the angel of the Lord came, he was hiding. You know, normally when you, when you take the crops and you glean them, you go on a hill where there's wind and you throw it in the air and the wind blows away the chaff. He was in a wine press in the bottom. He's doing it because he was afraid the enemy was going to come. And the angel comes, says, Oh, you mighty man. Oh, not me. <laughs> Who am I? I'm the least of my family's house. And we see this in these men that we read in this chapter. And then 34 gives us the key out of weakness were made strong, became valiant. They became strong because they got to know God in a new way. Each and every one had a personal encounter with God. And they became valiant. It hasn't changed. Put your name there on that list. Say, I'm one of those mighty men of God. I'm a mighty woman of God. And God is training you to become valiant in this battle, because it is a battle right now. You may be thinking that God can never use you. That's exactly what Satan wants you to think. But God sees it different. 
Jesus said he wants us all to bear fruit. John fifteen sixteen. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you. What? That you should go and bear fruit, and your fruit should remain. Note that bearing fruit is also here connected with loving one another, because the next verse is, you know, these are things I command you, that you love one another. And and that's important. That's a thing for another day. Um, we love God. We discover we have new love and compassion for people. And often that is a springboard into exploits because we react out of love. We don't act, react out of we, 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 we want to put attention on ourselves. No, we react out of we want to show love. And by that love, connect people to the living God. So anyway, let me just go on and try to finish this up soon. I just want to add some more here. We do not realize what God can do with us if we let him. We feel like maybe, well, we we can't do much. We, we, we're just a normal person, normal job. Charles Spurgeon, that great preacher who preached to, to unbelievable amounts of people in his lifetime, he said in the 1800s, he said, don't hold back because you cannot preach in St. Paul's. Be content to talk to one or two in a cottage. You may cook in small pots as well as big ones. Little pigeons can carry great messages. Even a little dog can bark at a thief and wake up the bastard and save the house. Do what you do right through thoroughly. Pray over it heartily and leave the results to God. Get active. Be led of the Spirit. Hudson Taylor once wrote, Unless there's an element of risk in our exploits for God, there's no need for faith. So in our exploits, there's always a step of faith. We dare to step out. We dare to 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 be bold. God uses ordinary people. First Peter two nine, and again the Amplified says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. Now he's talking to Christians. You are a chosen race. He's not just, he's not talking to the apostles. He's not just talking to the leaders. He's talking to normal people like you. He says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a dedicated nation, God's own purchased and special people. And this part I have underlined that you may set forth the wondrous deeds, read that wondrous, wonderful exploits and display the virtues and perfections of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Oh man, I tell you, everyone is called to bear fruit. I really believe this is a year, this is a time for extraordinary exploits, adventures. Well, let me just tell you one before I close. And uh, uh, many, many years ago, I, I I hate to say that many many years ago, but that's the truth nowadays. And and uh, I was helping a youth speaker at a conference with someone called Catherine Coleman, and um, they said they would like to have uh, a group go to Sweden. And I didn't know where, nothing about Sweden, even though our ancestors came from that area, and. They said, everyone who wants to go, meet on the second floor. And I kind of went up the second floor, but stayed in the shadows. And one of the people came up 
out and saw me and said, who are you? He said, I'm Jim McInnes. Come with me, because God's been speaking to me. You're going to come with us. And I thought, well, I wish he'd tell me, because I, but he already had told me. That's why he was up there. So anyway, my buddy Bill and I went to Sweden and with this group of men, but because we were just two young people with the guitars, uh, they didn't have us do much. They had us sing a song or two in the church and all the other ones testified. But you know, I, I had this thing within me. I want to see God move in people's lives. I didn't come all that way just to sit in the back pew. I wanted to do something. So I asked that we go on the street to my buddy. We said, yeah, let's go. And we took someone that could help translate. And I'll never forget walking down the main street in Gothenburg, Sweden, and coming up to the opera house where there's this big statue, I believe, who said it. And the, all of a sudden, I, I saw somebody that was uh, kind of bowed over. They were high on drugs. And I went over to them, and I started talking to them, and I heard a little scream. And the girl that came with us to help translate, there were two guys trying to molest her. And so I, I ran over without thinking, and there was like one step or two, just a small step. I'd stepped down, and one of them got down into like a, a knife pose. He had a knife in his hand. And the other one looked at me with his fists, and um, I didn't know what to do. I mean, this this is where you just have to trust God. So I spoke to him, the only Swedish I know knew. I said, Jesus Elskar Day. Jesus Elskar Day. And that means Jesus loves you. And they looked at each other. So I said it in English. I said, Jesus loves you. And the one with the knife threw it down and ran away. Hallelujah. <laughs> and the other one stayed and found Jesus became born again. And so we took him back to the meeting. And because of that... Uh, a Swedish businessman who had a, uh, worked on a TV program too there, um, said, Jim, this is the only thing we've seen this week of reaching out and, and people coming to Jesus like this. Will you stay for another week or two? Well, that extraordinary, extraordinary exploits, if I could use those terms, turned into 20 years where we built the, one, one of the first Jesus houses in Europe, and we had a center there, and, and we saw thousands be touched with Jesus. Why did that happen? Because I was better than anybody else? No, because we said, God, use me. Use me. And that's what you can do today. You can say, God, use me. Let me give you one more quick example from history. I love history. Um, there was a young girl by name uh, uh, Heidi May Wyatt at the turn of the last century. So that would be about early, beginning 1900. And she was crying near a small church when the pastor walked by. And he asked her what was wrong. And she sobbed and said there hasn't been enough room in Sunday school class for her seeing her filthy clothes because she was very poor. The pastor guessed that she might have been turned away for other reasons because she was dirty. He marched her back in and found a place for her in the class. She listened to love Bible stories she heard every Sunday. Two years later, that little girl died. And when the pastor came to make his final arrangements, he discovered a coin purse with her belongings. Inside the coin purse was 57 cents in a slip of paper that said, to make the church bigger, 
so more kids can go to Sunday school. Wow. The pastor told the girl's story at Sunday in church and challenged his deacons to raise enough money to build a bigger church. The newspapers picked up the story, and a realtor offered a parcel of land worth thousands of dollars to build the church on. When told the church couldn't afford the asking price, he offered to sell it for 57 cents. That's the man. When he was told that the church couldn't afford the price for the land, he offered to sell it for 57 cents, that little girl. It would seem impossible to build a church with 57 cents, but that didn't stop one little girl from trying to create a miracle. Today you can go to the Temple Baptist Church of Philadelphia and to the Temple University, go visit the Sunday School building next to the Good Samaritan Hospital where there is more than enough room for everyone. In one room you will see a picture of a young girl who started it all with 57 cents. Alongside it is the picture of the Reverend Russell Conwell who multiplied that 57 cents by challenging and sharing the story. Let me tell you, you may feel like you're weak. You may feel like all you have is 57 cents. You believe that that little gift so motivated people turned the heart of a landowner to give the land for 57 cents, motivated the revival in the church, and founded a whole university, all because of this little girl. You never know what God's going to do. So dare to believe him in your life. God wants to do extraordinary adventures through you. You may never know the result of him until you meet Jesus that day. Because our job is to be faithful. And you're going to be astounded at the great exploits. I bet you that little girl in heaven, she's astounded by that gift of 57 cents. Well, anyway... I have to end it here. If you need more information, look us up and uh, growing in God's word. And we just want you to grow in God, to be used of him, to show this world a loving God who cares for each and every one. Well, this is Pastor Jim McGinnis just closing this uh, teaching for today. God bless you. In Jesus' name. Father, come and fill me up. Let your spirit come. Rain down in my life. Flood me with your love. I claim on earth what's coming from heaven. To be here any day. Oh, I can taste his promise. That is coming my way.